is Andy Wakefield, and this is the Andy Wakefield Podcast. This is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before. Welcome back to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. My name is Lori Gregory. Andy, welcome back to your show. Reality radio, I think this is unscripted, taking it as it comes. That's good. We have to these days because things are changing so quickly uh, in so many areas. We are, as always, uh, blessed to have a guest this week. And we met this gentleman in New Jersey last year. What a privilege it is for us to have the head of the Urban Global Alliance. Am I getting this right, Mr. Kevin Jenkins? Urban Global Health Alliance. Urban Global Health Alliance. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. (laughs) UGHA. UGHA, right? Okay. Urban Global Health Alliance, which you're going to be hearing more about if you haven't heard about it, because you guys are doing some amazing stuff, Kevin. We've had a privilege, uh, I've been privileged to cross paths with you the past couple months at various speaking engagements. Andy, how fortunate we are. Kevin, welcome to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. And forgiving me for botching Urban Global Health Alliance's model. Well, you know, it is a tongue twister, but you got you got the gist of it. It's urban, you know. We all live in urban cities, and it's global. We hope to expand globally to talk about how to build healthy communities, which I believe builds healthy societies. And health is paramount to every society. And we're in a struggle for our health right now. You know, how to stay healthy, how to stay mentally healthy. I was meditating this morning, and my meditation was about negativity. And I was thinking about that because we have so much negativity in the world today. And even though you're trying to do good things, negativity creeps in and you got you to gotta learn how to manage that because we are human. As Buddha says, you know, we have to live. We have to live in real time. We have to live on this earth. You know, you have to live here and deal with the things you have to deal with. But the alliance part of it was very simple. That's why I'm on the phone with you and Mr. Wakefield, and we're creating an alliance working together, I believe, to fight against tyranny of our time. And, you know, the great thing about this conversation is I'm on the phone with someone, I believe, that was a pioneer in telling the truth and signaling to the world what was going on. So I was more than pleased to be on the phone with Mr. Wakefield because I see him as a giant in our society. And I'm very encouraged about the fact that he's still there having that big conversation about what's happening in the world. And um, that shows a lot of courage. So, you know, if he can be as courageous as he has, he has, he's been, I could be courageous also and try to do the things I think that will save our humanity. So that's where I'm at right now. Okay, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate those words. It means, means a great deal. And tell me something, how did you come to the issue of health in particular and the vaccine issue? How, how, what was your journey there? Well, you know, I come from a family that believed that public service and working for community was paramount. So I was blessed. I was blessed in the sense that I was able to work in a community, you know, to look at what the issues were of the time. So if it was affordable housing, I was fighting for affordable housing for families throughout the state of New Jersey, in particular, the city of Newark. If it was how do we create a thriving economy for people to create jobs, for us to create jobs for those people. I was there fighting to make sure, and fighting, the word fighting, I didn't have to fight because I was blessed enough to be in an environment where Black Americans at the time in history understood that, you know, shelter, education, God, all the things that are are very succinct with our humanity was paramount that I worked on as a young man. So I was blessed. 
So if it's community development, if it's economic development, if it's business, you know, how to build out communities to create opportunity and education. So I was in every one of those spaces all of my life, but the vaccine narrative didn't come to me in the way that I thought. It actually came to me by Jamel Holly calling me up and having a deeper conversation about the parents that were fighting for their religious freedoms um, in the state of New Jersey. And he says, Kevin, there's something going on in the state of New Jersey. There's 10,000 people at the state house fighting to protect their religious freedoms. And he said, well, Kevin, what do you think? And I started laughing. I said, Jamel, anytime parents, 10,000 parents show up anywhere, you better be standing with them and forget about your relationship with the party. And he did just that. You know, I come from a political family. My wife's been elected for over 20 years, but we both have been active in politics, Republican and Democrat. And we've been trying to show people in our community and around the world that the best politics is self-preservation. The best politics is family. The best politics is how do we restore our communities in a way that will extend our next generation? How do we empower them to covet what we've coveted and what we were giving all of our lives? So when I got involved in this vaccine discussion, I was not aware of it. I, I just wasn't paying attention. I, and I was shocked. I even told Lori, I said, my God, all of these years of being in, you know, in community development work, economic development work, government affairs work, you know, saving hospitals. I had just come off a big victory of saving a hospital and doing a hospital acquisition. I just was working on real estate transactions for charter schools and writing charter school public policy for education, excellent education for everyone. And I got to tell you, Andy, it escaped me. And so when I started going down the rabbit hole and I started connecting all of the chronic illness and I started looking at all of the comorbidity issues we were having, and then I started having deeper conversations with people like yourself. I had told Susan Sweeting, my COO at Urban Global Health Alliance, before she became that, I said, you know what? It's just not going to be enough going around the country and say, hey, this is bad. And hey, you know what? This is happening to our children. I said, we need to create an institution so we can create institutional science, so we can create some connectivity for not just the community I care about, but bridging that gap between the white and black community so they can clearly understand that the battle is just not from some white women, but that the battle is against all of us and our bodies are now being put in a position from an African-American perspective to be commoditized as slaves again. And then to link that into a bigger narrative for white Americans to understand that we have to come together because they were talking about this a long time ago and it was our internal dirty secret. Like autism, we knew autism was doing something drastically horrible to our community. We knew our chronic illness was spike, spiking at a whole nother level. We knew that we were probably the most exploited and experimented group of people on the planet, but could not connect all of the dots. So, you know, the Urban Global Health Alliance is pretty much focused on these three areas, advocacy, education, and public policy. Because Lori and Andy, let me tell you the horror that I had to witness when I was traveling around the country, when I started traveling around the country as a newbie, as someone that was not in depth, you know, didn't have all of the in-depth information, but I did know how to operate within a government space because I've been there, you know, I've, I understand the mechanics of it. What I found out, Andy, was that majority of the black legislators in the country actually had signed on with Big Pharma to continue eugenics 2.0, signed on with Big Pharma to take black Americans or white Americans religious freedoms and medical freedoms. Now that's when, you know, I said, okay, something has to be done. I have to tell this story. 
not just identifying that vaccines are damaging to our children and have damaged our children, but I knew right then and there that I had to put myself in the wedge, wedge myself there so I can start having a bigger conversation with people around the country about not the barbarians at the gate, but the barbarians inside the gate, and then turn that into a broader narrative about you know the impact of vaccines on the black community, the white community, and all, all around the world, never mind what's, what's been happening in Africa. So that's how I got here. I hope that was not long-winded, but that's, that's how I got here. Well, that was very valuable. Now, you know, it, it struck me as well, going around the country, how the um, black politicians have really sold out. I, I, just a little story, Kevin. Just, I come from, obviously, I don't come from America originally. I come from England. I, and I'm growing up, so here was my, before encountering the racial issues in America, which just to me now as an observer on American politics and sort of social history, seem very much to be a contrivance of a political party that wants to create victims of black people. And that is totally inappropriate and actually in completely the wrong way to go about it. But my, sto my story, my experience encountering, I was a child in, in Bath and during the Second World War, the Italians invaded what was then Abyssinia, now Ethiopia. And the emperor and his family, Haile Selassie, the Lion of Judah, the, was, uh, was exiled to England. And he came to live in Bath. And my grandfather was his doctor. They lived next door to each other. So you had this extraordinary situation where you had Haile Selassie and his family and his wives and all of his children and grandchildren living next door to my grandfather, and, and they were great friends, and they spent a lot of time together. After that happened, his grandson, the Crown Prince Alex, to come and visit my grandmother in this little village in the west of England, where, I swear, they'd never seen a black man before. And there were these, they would turn up in this limousine, <laughs> and they'd never seen a limousine yeah. before either. And there were these three huge, you know how tall, Ethiopians can be yes. three tall, very black bodyguards, and Alex, who was equally tall, very, very good looking guy. And he uh, and they would come there and the whole village would come out <laughs> to see this. It was that was. And, and so I lived in awe of these. They were wonderful. We had a lot of fun together. And, and very sadly, as you probably know, Alex and, and many of the princes were called back to Ethiopia when Mengistu and the communist regime took over and he was executed. It was that the tragic day for my family, for whom he was a great friend. But that was my racial experience. It was actually living in awe of these hugely tall Ethiopians. And so uh, coming to America and witnessing the, the discordance the, here was something very new for me because it, it wasn't part of my growing up with racial equality and racial perception of race. And I did, and I've become, over the years, I've become a great fan of people like Candace Owens, who are very, very articulate and really encapsulate the, the, much of the current story of, of racial tension in America or, or how it's being cultivated to push a particular agenda. But some things really sadden me, and I, I don't know whether you've seen Vax. Yeah, I've seen Vax, yes, yes, yes. Um, very briefly, there were the, the, the very beautiful black doctor in that who worked on the doctor's uh, TV show that Del Bigtree brought in, gave a wonderful interview. 
And the great sadness for me is that she said, when I go back to my community where I practice medicine, it's almost expected that your child is going to be on welfare benefits for being in some way intellectually disabled or, or uh, special needs. You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. To continue the conversation, go to 1986theact.com slash membership, where for $5 a month, you can subscribe and access the Andy Wakefield Podcast in its entirety and much more. 